heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. This is Healing the Whole Person on WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio. Well, hello and welcome to this episode of Healing the Whole Person. I am your host, Angela Tomlinson, and I'm with Susie McGinn. Susie, say hello. Hello. There she is. Now say hello. Hello. There we go. There we go. The mics are on. So we're your host today. We have a very special guest. His name is Bob Noonan. I met Bob at Marytown. Everyone's familiar with Marytown Franciscan Friary with a friend, Bob Lyman, one day. And he has an amazing story to share with you this afternoon. Bob has 30 years of corporate experience in the telecommunications fields where he has worked in engineering, operations, marketing, and sales, and he's a corporate officer and senior vice president for Fortune 500 company, Aris. He currently manages well over a billion dollars in annual revenue. He's also had leadership positions in many well-respected companies, including Motorola, Touch Systems, U.S. Sprint, Tectonics, and actually two Tectonics companies. And throughout his career, he's helped drive new markets that revolutionized industries in TV, digital learning, and IPTV. Bob also serves as the chairman of a wonderful nonprofit, I believe it's about five years old, called Let It Be Us, which is based right here. And I believe it's, Bob, is it based in Barrington? Yeah, Barrington, Illinois, yep. Barrington, Illinois, and he is an adoptive father. He himself is one of 11 children. So he knows what it's like to have a full house on a Sunday afternoon. And, Bob, welcome to the show. (laughs) Well, thank you, Angela. It's my pleasure to be on the show. Appreciate uh, the invite. Yes, and thanks for coming. So, Bob, I met you during when we were all so concerned about COVID, not that we're not now, but we were kind of in the height of COVID. And you had an amazing story. It wasn't related to COVID, but it was just an incredible story of an experience you were going through, and we invited you to come on WSFI Catholic Radio and share it. So tell us what happened to you. Yeah, I will. Thank you, and thanks for the opportunity. You know, hopefully my my story will just be an inspiration to some of your listeners because this is truly uh, a divine miracle that I'm even here talking to you uh, I've talked to several people in the medical industry and field, and, and they say there's no medical reason why I am alive. Uh, so, you know, I'll, I'll try to give you a short version of it, but right as COVID was starting to ramp in early 2020, uh, my wife and I uh, we were blessed with five children. Uh, I joke with her that we're biological empty nesters because we have three older children biologically and we did adopt two little boys from foster care. Oh, uh, so we, we have an age gap. Uh, our oldest is 31 and our youngest is 10. Um, but anyways, when they shut down the schools and they went to remote schooling, uh, we've been blessed to have a place not only in Chicago, uh, Chicago area, but down in Naples, Florida. So my wife and I decided, let's take the boys down there they're going to remote school anyways, so at least we can let them, you know, be at the pool and, and have better weather. So this was back in March of 2020, and we were there for, you know, five, six weeks. Everything seemed to be going well. But at the end of April, one morning, I was working uh, remote from, from home because all the, 
you know, clients and, and customers and businesses all shut down. Uh, I woke up and got ready for work and had a massive headache while I was in the shower. Uh, and I went out and told my wife, I might have to go see a doctor because uh, I had this massive headache. And then, of course, I looked on my smartphone and realized I had a busy day. Uh, and I told my wife I would power through the headache because I was too busy. And she said she had this incredible feeling. And I believe it was, you know, a nudge from an angel of some sort. The Holy Spirit. <laughs> yes, yes. 100%. That, no, something is wrong. She jokes saying, in, in 32 years of marriage, you've never once said you need to see a doctor. <laughs> so that was a clue. <laughs> so, so she said, I'm taking you to the ER. And she did. She drove me to the ER. Uh, of course, they were locked down with COVID. She couldn't even come in with me. She had to drop me off in an outside tent. Uh, and I went in, and they did some checks, and, you know, everything seemed okay. One of the doctors mentioned they wanted to hold me for observation for 60 minutes or so. So I text my wife that, hey, pick me up outside the ER in an hour. Well, 20 minutes later, the whole room started spinning around, and I couldn't get my bearings. I was screaming for help. Uh, and I vividly recall all of this. They, they threw me on a gurney. They rushed me into a CAT scan. I heard one of the doctors saying uh, he's bleeding in the midbrain. Uh, the next thing I knew, they were rushing me uh, through the hospital on a gurney, and I asked them to call my wife, give her an update, and they, they told me, sir, we're a little busy. <laughs> uh, we're taking you in for brain surgery. Uh, and at the time, I was still conscious enough where I took my phone and I text my wife, hey, I'm bleeding in the brain, will advise or something like that. Uh, and that's the last um, thing she heard from me. So she got a call like three hours later from a doctor, and the doctor told her uh, that I was in ICU, and the good news was they stopped the bleeding in my brain. They did tell her there was a full intact brain aneurysm that they noticed, uh, but they weren't too concerned because it wasn't that massive, according to what they told her, uh, and that I would be in the ICU for a week or so. So then she that calmed her down, obviously, because uh, she was nervous. The last thing she heard from me was I was bleeding in the brain and Nobody in the hospital had any news when she kept trying to, to get information. Uh, so then she relaxed. Of course, our older kids at the time, one was out in Colorado and two were in Chicago. You know, they, they were all um, concerned and upset, so she calmed everybody down. And then she got a call three hours later from the same doctor and basically told her, Mrs. Noonan, your husband aneurysm ruptured. He's in critical care. We don't think he's going to make it through the night. Oh. If you have a local priest, please bring him in to give last rites. Oh he's my. on life support, and he's in a coma. So my poor wife, when she got that call, uh, was was crazy. Sure. Uh, it's just dramatic. So then a little while later, she was instructed by them that uh, we're going to airlift him from Naples, which is where we were, over to Miami for emergency brain reconstructive surgery. Uh, so in the meantime, she's scrambling with our older kids. Uh, our two younger ones were down here with us. Um, 
So the, they were planning on flying in, and she had them all direct into Miami because I was supposed to be airlifted to Miami. Well, that night or that late afternoon, the weather turned really bad, and flight life could never get off the ground. They couldn't get clearance to go. So my son, who flew in on the red eye from Denver, beat me to Miami because the next morning uh, they ambulanced me over. I was on life support and in a coma. One of the issues they couldn't take me in any ambulance right away is they needed an ICU certified nurse to ride with me because I was on you know, life support uh, in, in the machine. So it was just a really crazy curveball and had nothing to do with COVID, uh, but it, it sure set us back. Were you awake? Now, uh, were you awake during that whole time, or do you remember any of this? No. What What the last thing I remember from, I would say, you know, conscious here on Earth as a human being <laughs> was when the doctors were rushing me through uh, the hospital prepping me to go into brain surgery. And that's the last thing I recall. Now, I will tell you, though, that, and this is so vivid, it's not a dream or a vision, uh, during this whole crazy I would say day or two days while I was in the coma on life support when they were rushing me over to, to um, Miami, I had an out-of-body experience. I start, my soul started the journey to the other side. Oh. And it was so vivid and so real. I lived it. It's not, you know, like I said, it's not a vision or a dream. And it was the strangest thing because I found myself on the road to Jericho, and instinctively I knew that's where I was. And I'm looking around, and I'm like, what am I doing here? This is, this is bizarre. And then I had this incredible peacefulness wash over me. It's hard to explain. It was just some peacefulness. And I heard this loud voice in my, inside my head say, life is simple. Love everyone, judge no one. Beautiful. And I reflected, I'm like, that's pretty simple. We all screw it up every day, but it's pretty simple. <laughs> Love everyone, judge no one. So then while I was standing around, floating around, I can't um, you know, put it into words. I'm like, all right, I'm on this road. I'm going to follow this road. So I started going on the road, and I came around to bend. And I saw my mother and father standing across the road a little ways up. They looked happy, healthy, prime of their lives. Not like what I saw them both on their deathbeds. I went up to them, and my father was giving me the look like a dad gives his son when you mess up or did something wrong. And I caught myself saying, what did I do? What did I do? And he never said a word to me. And I looked at my mom, and she was in this beautiful floral dress. And I could feel, I could tell she wanted to run over and hug and kiss me. But she was holding herself back, or something was holding her back. And then out of nowhere, my brother Timothy, who's two years older than me, he died a couple years ago. He popped up out of nowhere. And again, he looked to be he healthy, happy, the prime of his life. And he came over to me and said, 
Bob, trust me on this one. We don't have much time. You've been cleared to go back. You have much work to do. Turn around, go back. How beautiful. I looked at my, I looked at my parents, and they kind of gave me the shoe sign. Go, go. And the next thing I knew, I woke up in recovery in Miami. How beautiful. Oh. Did you feel peaceful when you woke up, Bob? Yeah, at first when I woke up, I, you know, I felt like somebody beat me up bad, and I didn't. I was, you know, not fully sure what was going on. Uh, and you know, of course, after the fact, I realized I was in and out of consciousness for a week or so. Um, my poor wife and and kids couldn't come into the hospital to visit because of COVID restrictions, uh, and it, it was a really crazy touch and go time but i did feel extremely peaceful in fact going through this it forever changed my perspective on life um my kids joke now and call call me easygoing bob 2.0 <laughs> i don't get uh, <laughs> i don't get well, but we don't want a 3.0 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh. i mean it, it it was amazing and i gotta tell you that i think all of this lined up is God's plan because it was amazing that I happened to be where I was. I had that ICU nurse that rode in the ambulance with me. Uh, she actually discovered, uh, you know, the second call my wife got that something was seriously wrong inside my brain because she was doing a routine check before she went home for the night and realized that my right eye had exploded or the pupil had exploded called the doctors back and they realized my aneurysm had ruptured. Uh, she's the one who came in in the morning and escorted the ambulance over to, to have my surgery. Now my surgery was another part of the miracle because Dr. Yagovol, who, who did the surgery, uh, it was a 10 hour reconstructive surgery. He's the inventor or one of the inventors of the brain aneurysm coil. And he put that in, and then he put a stent in on the the blood vessel that had it ruptured. And he did that without ever opening my skull. Oh, wow. he, he came up through my groin, up through my heart, and did it all robotically. It's just... That's a miracle. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many parts of this that is a miracle. And, of course, my poor wife and family were being told by doctors that the normal thing, you know, with this brain trauma. They were being told, you know, if he survives, you know, he may not have any memory or have major stroke-like symptoms. He might be in a, a nursing home in a wheelchair uh, if he survives. And 10 days after I, I got transferred from the ICU, a critical care unit in Miami to the rehab, 10 days later, I walked out of the hospital on my own. And oh. I've never had any any extensive for any uh, rehab or anything. It's, it's a divine miracle. It is. It's, it's yes. What totally. prayers were prayed for you? <laughs> Who was praying? Oh, my <laughs> Lord, there were so many. Yeah. And that, that's one thing that has forever, you know, cemented my faith even more. Right. I, I was a practicing Catholic before, but not to the level I am now. Right. Because... I had so many friends doing rosaries and, and actually parishes 
um, four of my sisters are nurses, and one of them takes takes care of a lot of sisters uh, in a place in Massachusetts, and they were doing daily rosaries for me, and it, it was just amazing the power of prayer, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know, it, it definitely I benefited from that. So I try to religiously do a rosary a morning on a walk, and and pray for. Whoever I hear about it needs prayers, or even folks that I don't know of or hear about them, I'm saying prayers back, because pay it forward, because I I have a second chance, and it's really changed my perspective on life. We're all here. It's it's simple, right? Love everyone, judge no one. That's right. And that's hard to do. That's hard to do. It is. (laughs) (laughs) It is. You have to do it by faith, I found. In my yeah. own life, because you can't, uh, to love everyone, you have to be God, <laughs> you know, yeah. he, he can really do that perfectly. But in my own life, when I find it's hard to love someone, I immediately try and remember the lesson I learned several years ago is to love them by faith and ask God for his love for this yeah. person to channel through me so that I can be a conduit for his love because I can't do it on my own. And that's how it sounds like uh, what God is asking of us through you. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful yeah. lesson, Bob, beautiful. So, Bob, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back to uh, the second half of the show if you're just tuning in on WSFI Catholic Radio, broadcasting on 750 AM and 88.5 FM. You're hearing the story of Bob Noonan, and the reason I thought it was so important to read his background is, uh, Bob, it just adds to your credibility. Do you know what I mean? When, like, when, yeah. when I first met you, it's like when you were telling me, I was in the hospital a week ago, and I had an aneurysm, and I happened <laughs> to run into the doctor who invented the coil that put it. It's like, whoa, but it's all true. <laughs> it's all true. So yeah. we're going to be back for part two of Bob Noonan 2.0. Very exciting story. Very exciting. We'll be right back. Hello, this is Brian. I'm a volunteer here at WSFI Catholic Radio. I'm reaching out, letting you know why our expansion throughout the Chicagoland area is so vitally important to the new communities that we will be reaching. God has many tools of reaching individuals and bringing them to conversion. I believe Catholic Radio is one of the biggest tools God uses. One never knows who is listening and just who we will be reaching through the airways, whether it be bringing people back to Jesus and their faith or bringing people to meet Jesus for the first time. Catholic Radio is the key to evangelization. A prayer for deliverance with Father John Grigas, the rector of the National Shrine of St. Maximilian Kolbe at Marytown. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus Christ, we just ask for the grace of the Holy Spirit to come down upon us, the intercession of Our Lady and of all the saints and angels, and we come against any influence of the occult or the New Age that might have infiltrated any of our listeners, their children, their grandchildren, their nieces, nephews, brothers, and sisters, and families, and we bind Satan and all of his minions in any way that have bound any of these individuals or their families in this occult 
call practices and we invoke Mother Mary also in all the saints in the name of Jesus by the blood of Jesus I just break all bounds and all influences of the new age upon any one of our listeners and may they be broken in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit may he send upon them the grace of the Holy Spirit to free them and may our Mother Mary place her mother in the mantle to protect them and crush the head of the evil one as she was promised to do so in Genesis after the fall Amen Want an example of a false sense of security? How about relying on the life insurance you get through work to pay for all of your final expenses? Do you have plans to retire someday? Or do you plan on working for that company for the rest of your life? The fact is, you may lose your life insurance when you leave a company. I'm Matt Tomlinson from Catholic Financial Life, and I invite you to share your hopes and dreams with me. To discuss your options for protecting your family, call me at 847-548-MATT. That's 847-548-6288. Products and services not available in all states. Well, hello and welcome back to the second part of this episode of Healing the Whole Person. I'm Angela Tomlinson with Susie McGinn, and our guest is Bob Noonan. Bob is the chairman of a phenomenal nonprofit, Let It Be Us, that, um, and he's also an adoptive father. Bob, before we get back to your story, tell us a little bit about um, how you got involved with this charity and what they're all about. Oh, great. Thanks for the question there, Angela. <clears throat> yeah, my, you know, I'd say probably 20, maybe even almost 25 years ago, my wife started getting involved with uh, Safe Families, where we would take in temporary custody of uh, children that were stricken by a family crisis or some sort of, you know, serious neglect or, or abusive case, where we were a safe home or a safe family would take temporary custody of children. And we did that for several years and took several kids in. I think we had 20, 25 kids come through our, our house. Uh, and that, that's as I, our kids were growing up. So they were exposed to, you know, some of the innocent victims of our society that have done nothing wrong, just happened to be born in uh, a family with the challenging or wrong parents. Uh, so we did that for many years, and I guess about ten and a half years ago, we took a six-month-old boy in uh, for a. It was supposed to be a ninety-day placement. Well, now he's our eleven-year-old son oh. that we adopted. So that was a challenging case. His younger brother was born, and we brought him home from the hospital, and he's now ten. Uh, so about that time. Uh, and it was quite a, it was almost eight, nine years ago now. Let it be us. Um, Susan McConnell's the founder. What she did is she had this concept of we have to focus in on the kids in foster care and try to get them forever families through adoption. Right. Uh, she, she knew of certain families that were involved helping children in foster care or in safe families. So she had recruited me to join as one of the founding board members and and since i've now become the chairman of the board and helped set the strategy uh, the organization has helped thousands of kids in illinois foster care over the years there, currently there's over eighteen thousand kids in foster care just in illinois mm. uh, are they all so, part of let it be us or other no let it be us is one we've become one agency that works with dcfs the department of Right. Uh, you know, that that is responsible for the care of all the children in care. Um, 
But what we did is we focused in on finding areas where the state is either not equipped to help children, are overwhelmed, or have uh, policies and, and procedures that just don't make common sense for the welfare of children. And we slowly started filling some of the gaps and stepping in and doing things well that the state doesn't do well. Could you give us uh, an example of that? Yeah, uh, it's it's like recruiting better quality foster families. Is oh, one, yeah. Where, where you go out and you educate the public. We put on seminars. We bring them in on what it takes to become a foster family, the need uh, of how many kids really need God's un- or anyone's uh, unconditional love and guidance. Because really, a child just needs unconditional love and guidance, and they will flourish and become strong members of society. Uh, without that, you know, the, with the government trying to raise children, they're not equipped to do that, they're overwhelmed, and you end up turning some of these kids into a menace of society rather than a p- productive member. So we've been filling a lot of voids. That's just one of them, but there's multiple programs that we do, and we've grown nicely. I mean, last year we raised right around a million dollars, and 87 cents of every dollar we raise goes back directly to a child through one of our programs. So it's a really great nonprofit uh, that's helping and doing Jesus's work, frankly, helping the kids, the children. Um, So I'm, I'm pretty passionate about let it be us as it's grown. Um, And I think that's what my brother was, was uh, telling me that you have a lot of work to do because there's so much more work is needed on the child welfare system, not only in Illinois, but across the country. Of course. It's, yeah, it's, it's a challenging environment. Bob, you operate in, is it just in Illinois at this moment? Yeah, Let It Be Us is focused on Illinois. Is yes. it scalable? It is scalable, and that's exactly one of the things that I've been talking with our, our board about, is ultimately a long-term goal is to, to roll this out where we can grow and make it a nationwide, even state-by-state, region-by-region type of uh grassroots efforts helping the children because because right now we don't take any government money it's all through our either major uh fundraisers we do two big fundraisers a year or through uh, very good donations that we receive uh so i i don't want to take funding from the government because that'll morph us or potentially morph us into another bureaucratic government arm and I want to be able to be flexible, nimble, and do focus on making an impact on the children, the mm. children in care. Is, right. is there a specific case that comes to your mind of um, a foster child? I know that you mentioned the two that you actually took in your own home, which was, that's just an yes. incredibly beautiful story. I don't know if any um, other stories come to mind to bring the beautiful work that's being done to life in our listeners' yes. ears. Yes. Yes, I'll share one that that's almost hard to believe. But we've also, you know, we've become a, a portion, an agency for the state that finds proper matched homes for children that need placements quickly. Good. We've that's one of our biggest assets over the years. We've built a really good database. We we 
recruit families that are willing to take, that get licensed to take children. So we've got this really big asset, and we can identify the proper match for a child. And and what we're trying to do is match it where it'll be a a longer-term placement so they don't get bounced around in the system. Well, this only happened about six months ago. We got a call from, on our hotline, Let It Be Us hotline, we got a call from a nurse in downtown Chicago, and she said, hey, I've done research, and I've discovered that Let It Be Us is the place to go to find a home for a a foster child. And, of course, our staff who would answer, yes, that's one of the things we do, and we do it well. She said, well, can you help me find a home for a two-year-old girl who's, who um, uh, is autistic, severely autistic, uh, with, with special needs. And, of course, our staff said, yes, we can do that. We, we have, you know, we've recruited and we know people that are willing to do that. Uh, but we need to talk to the caseworker and to DCFS. And, and this is the response from the nurse. She basically said, I'm frustrated with that uh, because they keep telling us they can't find a home. This child is two years old. I'm one of the nurses in the hospital where the baby was born and the baby has never left the hospital. Oh. The nurses were raising this child and the state kept having, you know, reasons they couldn't find a home. So when we got that call, Within six hours, we had identified four to six homes that would take that child. Mm. And then a week later, that child left the hospital. Mm-hmm. So we have, let it be us, it is making an impact, and but there's so much more to do. And, you know, this could grow not only in Illinois, but through, through the country. Well, you, you could change the world with this program. I mean, think about it, the swing between a child that has no love no yeah, home, exactly. bounce from place to place, and the damage that it does not just to that child but to society. Right. So, you know, the anger uh, and then what the difference is between a child that has a loving home. And so many fatherless homes. Fatherless. That's. Uh, I agree. That's I 100% the, agree. Yeah. That's so, the, the father in the home is key. If, if there's someone out there that's interested in donating to your cause or becoming more involved as a volunteer or... Uh, maybe they have a. Maybe they're willing to open up their home. How would they find out more about this program? Uh, go to letitbeus.org. We have a fabulous website that talks all about our events and what we're doing. And 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 then uh, Susan McConnell is our executive director. She was the founder who had the vision to start this organization. Uh, and then Alex Montgomery is our deputy director that runs the operations day-to-day. So if anyone um, goes to the website, you'll you'll have access to contact anyone. I think my contact information for my Let It Be Us email is on the website as well if anyone wanted to drop a a note. And what we'll do is, uh, Bob, we're going to post this to our website and our Podbean site. So if there's someone listening to this um, show... Or want, maybe you're in your car and you're, you're just getting out of the car and you, you want to hear the rest of it, or you have someone that they can help this organization, you can go to that site. Um, either go to wsfiradio.org or our Podbean site that is the archive of our 
local shows, which is W, S is in Sam, F is in Frank, I, radio at podbean.com. So I have a Boston accent, Bob. Did you notice? <laughs> I did. <laughs> and you went to school in Lowell. Yeah. yeah. I did. How I come? Did. What were you doing in Lowell? Well, I grew up outside of Worcester. You oh, you did. did. And didn't go to Holy yeah. Cross? <laughs> no, I did not go to Holy Cross. I, went, I was one of 11 children and self-funded my college education. So Holy Cross was a little out of the price range. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but you managed to bounce back and go to Notre Dame, I see. Yes, yes. Yes, I did. I did get my MBA from Notre Dame. <laughs> yeah. And but, but, you know, my nine brothers and sisters still living are all in New England. So I get back there quite a bit. Several of them are still in Massachusetts. Yeah. I Good. worked for a company called Kronos Incorporated that I think it's, it was in Waltham, but its manufacturing facility was in Lowell for oh, yeah. many years. Yeah. It was a startup, and it, it just uh, it just managed to hit it right. I'll just put it that way. You look at all your screw-ups, and I look back at us, and I say, how did we ever succeed? <laughs> you succeed despite <laughs> yourself sometimes in businesses, don't we? <laughs> Exactly. Well, that's God's way. He puts us on a path that, you know, sometimes you got to thank the Lord. That's all it. And I thank him that you're still around. So continuing on your story, Bob, if you're just tuning in, um, we have Bob Noonan on um, the Healing the Whole Person show. He is a credentialed business person. He is a philanthropist. And he had the most amazing story of what happened to him uh, it, what is it, about a year ago, a little bit more than that? Two years. It, it was a little over two years. It yeah. was uh, right when COVID started shutting everything down in early 2020. Yeah. In March, in April, actually. It was April April 23rd is when I went into the hospital. Uh, and I think April 24th is when I had that 10-hour brain constructive re- uh, reconstructive surgery. Yeah. You had no symptoms or anything before that? Nothing. It, it, it was just a massive headache the day that the bleeding started. Oh, and you were mentioning that um, for those of um, people are listening, you were mentioning about, tell us a little bit about aneurysms and what you learned. Oh, yeah. What I've learned here, and and Dr. Yagavolt, I I really uh, thank God for putting his path and my path together. (laughs) Because he he pulled a, you know, a medical miracle, if you will, uh, that, that assisted in my divine miracle here. But he's an expert, one of the best uh, brain trauma uh, surgeons in the world. He's down in Miami. He he works uh, for Jackson Memorial um, Hospital there. He also uh, teaches at the University of Miami Med School. Well, he uh, he told me that he has a lot of data, and that brain aneurysms are hereditary. That they they form through DNA, um, and when he heard what, when he heard from me that we found out that my grandmother, my dad's mother, had passed away of a brain bleed, the same age when mine erupted. So she was fifty-seven. I was fifty-seven at the time. My goodness! Uh, right away, he told me, "Oh my God, I have the data. This is hereditary." And then he asked me, "How many siblings do you have?" And I said, well, I'm one of 11 children. He said, oh, my God, you got to get them all screened because there's a process we do called the MRA, which is like an MRI, but it only focuses in on all your blood vessels in your brain to just identify is there any aneurysms 
because it's a ticking time bomb. There's no warning. And if, if they blow, most people don't survive. What is an or aneurysm? Have, For people who don't know, what is an aneurysm? It, well, it, it's like a, a balloon or a bubble of one of your uh, vessels in your, your brain. An artery so or vein or both? Yeah, actually, it's the artery. So it would be the blood that's going to your brain. Okay. So, um, so you know, and it's like a, it's a, the wall weakens and it can blow up or there can be a version of it where uh, over time, you know, the, the handoffs between the bigger artery down to the lower, smaller ones, there's deformities. Now, I'm not a medical expert, so I may be off on that. So, um, but all I know is, uh, it it's a miracle uh, that I have no side effects per se, um, and I you know because I bled out for eighteen hours in the in the brain. Um, hmm. And anyways, he told me it's hereditary. When he found out my grandmother had died of a brain bleed, he wanted to get all my siblings screened through an MRA. Well, my sister Julie, who's a year younger than me, had the MRA and discovered she had the exact same aneurysm in the exact same spot, same size I had. Uh, and, you know, at first the doctors were saying, well, see, it's not massive. It doesn't look like it's ready to blow. But then once they had a discussion with the doctors in Miami, they compared my scan before it had ruptured to my sister's. They were like an identical match. And they decided we better go in and do preventative surgery because his shouldn't have blown anyways, but it did. <laughs> so uh -huh. we can't make that call on Julie's. So they they went in and give, get, did the same type of surgery, preventative surgery, where they went in and put a stent uh, and then threw, uh, I don't know all the medical terms and details, but uh, at the end of the day, her aneurysm is gone. And it's a that's a miracle into itself. Now, one key fact here is my grandmother's name was Julie. Wow. <laughs> my sister's name is Julie. Wow. <laughs> and, and when I was reflecting or thinking about, hey, I, I know I'm going to be on Angela's show today, I had this really weird feeling that I hadn't connected those two. So oh. I think I was getting a message oh. from my, my grandmother that, hey, there's, you know, you took a bullet for your sister, but <laughs> yeah. it was a, you know, a saving of somebody else, frankly. And so. maybe other generations to follow you, right? Yeah, yes. and they do want all our kids. When they hit 40, they recommend they should all be screened. In fact, uh, Dr. Yagovolt was telling me a lot of the aneurysms that rupture in people could be prevented if people just had any type of warning. And he wants to try to get a screening process similar to breast cancer, where it becomes norm. Everybody will do it or at least have it done once to see if you have any aneurysms because they're like a ticking time bomb in your brain. Well, see, my, my uncle, who was a Catholic priest, um, he told me that he, they found out that he had an aneurysm, but he didn't think there was anything they could do. I mean, he was just waiting for it to explode, and then it did, and it killed him. 
He didn't. Re- huh? I never. I never knew there was anything that you could was ever it do in about his it. Brain? I. I don't remember. Yeah. I think it was his brain. Could you have a heart in your an aneurysm in your heart? Well, they have an yeah, aorta. you can have. Yeah, you can have an aneurysm anywhere yeah. in your body. But yeah, but I don't right. think anyone knew that there was something that you could, I mean, this was probably 10 years ago, but I don't know if anyone even thought there was something that could be done once you, once you found out you had one. Yes, you. there is something. They can wow. They can repair them. So are you afraid yeah. to die now, Bob? How has this changed your view on life and death? Yeah, no, good question. Very good question. No, I am not. You're not. Uh-huh. Were you before not this happened? All. Before this happened, how did you view death? I think it was a normal fear every human has. Yes. Um, almost instinctive fear. But now I'm not afraid at all because I I lived it. I lived the the watchfulness of the peace that came over me. Um, and it's hard to explain, but I have no fear. I'm ready. I know there is uh, a life after, eternal life after this short time we we stay, we're, we're in this human body on earth. Um, so I, I have no fear. Were you reluctant to go back when your brothers encouraged you to turn around and go back on the road? Uh, do you remember how you felt or, you know, or we, yeah, no, that's a great question. And uh, I have thought about that. Um, and I think I only got a little taste of the peacefulness. And I think when my mother didn't come over and hug and kiss me that was on purpose because i would have felt more of that and i probably wouldn't want to go back right so i i think it happened so fast and just the way you know my brother was like you, you, we don't have much time you got to go you got to go and, and my parents were shooing me away i think i just reacted quickly yeah uh, and i'm glad i did because sure. you know, the 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 trauma that my wife, my my soulmate Wendy's, went through, and my kids, but she never lost faith, oh. which is amazing. Yeah. Uh, you know, the doctors were telling her all these complications. At one point, they sat her down and said, "Well, she was on FaceTime with them. They weren't there in person." Oh, right. But uh, they basically told her, "You're going to go from being a wife to a caregiver." Uh-huh. And her response was, I don't think so. You don't know my husband. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, God bless her for that face. So she just refused. She, she And she said all along she had this feeling that I was going to be fine. Sure. And all the doctors were probably looking at her like, she's cuckoo. <laughs> Nobody that has a brain aneurysm rupture is going to be fine. <laughs> well, just the fact that she also had the feeling that morning that you yes. should go to the doctor, yes. that she wouldn't let you power. You know, most of us at work, you power your way through. I mean, you could be dropping yes. dead and you just keep on going if you have a busy schedule. Right. The fact yes. that she had that feeling to get you there as well. Yes, 100%. Yeah. Saved your life. Yep. She's A lot of things saved your life. Lots of things. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a miracle is, is one way I put it, but I think it hits it right, the nail on the head for sure. You know, Bob, when I was eight years old, my mother had uh, a stroke, among uh, many other things, and um, but she was in a coma, 
and uh, totally unconscious for six weeks. And she, we took care of her at home because my father wanted it that way. So we had all the 24-hour duty nurses and doctors there. But they said if she ever comes out of this coma and is relieved of the stroke, she's going to be left, like they said to you, with some sort of infirmity. Something's going to yeah. be wrong. She's going to be able to walk or talk or uh, see or, you know, her personality, everything's going to be different. She woke up perfectly normal. And we truly believe it was because I was only, I was the youngest. I was the only eight, and she still needed to raise me, and she did. So she didn't wow. die until I was 21, and by that time I was on my way. You know? That's awesome. Yeah, Again, it is. it's a miracle. It yeah. is a miracle, yeah. Why, why do the doctors say, why do you think they said that to your wife? Do they want to harvest your organs, or did they, you know, was it was no, it that draconian, I, I or they were just trying to build her expectation level? Yeah, I, I don't think it was that sinister. I don't yeah. think they wanted to just grab my <laughs> organs. Young guy, thought, he's, I hadn't thought of that one. He's a young <laughs> guy. Might as well cut out all the rest of them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but just I, one more. But I think it was really just trying to set proper expectations because they have seen it yeah. so many times yeah. that that was you know, the norm Fatal. for what I had gone yeah. through. And I, so I think they were just trying to, you know, be truthful and say, this is not good. And this is what we could expect. Um, even one of the doctors had told me that there's no medical reason why you are the way you are. It's a miracle. Is one doctor did say that a, a brain a, a retired brain uh, surgeon from Barrington actually said there's no medical reason why you're alive yeah the uh, doctors did the same thing to my mom he wouldn't believe she was alive until he says make an appointment I want to see you I want to see you in my office I don't believe it's you you know <laughs> <laughs> that, well and actually yeah. that is kind of what when I first called Dr. Yagavo yeah uh, you know because I had he, he didn't know, he didn't keep in touch with me or we didn't have any discussions once I was in the rehab. And I called him two weeks later after I left critical care and said, hey, doc, can you give me clearance to commercially fly back to Chicago? And he was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and, and he did. He said, I want to have you in my office. Yes, yeah. And he was. We spent some time together. He had me get up and walk back and forth. He was amazed. He really, truly was. Yeah. Yeah, it is and amazing. Glory to God. Oh. Yeah. So you answered the yeah. question. You're not afraid. It's changed your view of death, and that you you don't have any fear of it. You know that you know that there is life after death, and that yes. it's peaceful. And uh, maybe if people are just tuning in, I loved what you said about how it changed the way you live your life, Bob. That's a great way for us to end the show. Yeah, I mean, how it's changed my life is, it you know, don't sweat the small stuff. It's not worth getting all, you know, anxious or wrapped around the axle on something that doesn't really matter in the big picture. Uh, and just go back to the foundational, love everyone, judge no one. Right. It's, it's hard to do that. But we can, we can have an aspirational goal to try to be like Jesus and, and do that, love everyone. Yeah. including enemies and judge no one that's that's yeah. not easy i still judge road rage uh, bad drivers and trying to get better at it but at least i have an aspirational goal to 
continue to improve and continue to drive to that goal. Mm -hmm. And once again, Bob, the website, if people are interested in finding out more about Let It Be Us. Yes, it's www.letitbeus.org, O-R-G. That's a fantastic name. What a what a great story, Bob. I can't wait to spread this around everybody. I think I'll do an email blast to our thousands of donors and tell them, I think this is my show, my pick for the week. Yeah. Uh, Susie, this and, is my favorite and show. And what a testimony to the rosary and all the fervent rosaries that were thousands and thousands that were said for you, Bob. Yeah. Uh, so that agree. Very encouraging Honest. to our Marian movement here. So... Thank you yes. so much. Yeah. Well, it just tells well, us never, you. never never, to give up. All right. Never give up. All right. Yes. Yeah, God has Well, a, thank you for inviting me on. This has been a, a, a great time. Well, yes, thank you. Thank you. God bless you. And we want to help your organization. We want to help your nonprofit to, um, to do everything that God wants it to do. Okay. Thank okay. you so much. God, God bless, bless you. You too. All right. God Bye-bye bless. now. Bye-bye. been listening to Healing the Whole Person on WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio. For more information about this program or to purchase additional CD copies, please call us at 224-206-8455. That's 224-206-8455. Or visit us online at wsfiradio.org. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease.